if you worship the body, your body will mean the most to you. If you worship intelligence, your mind will mean the most to you. But if you focus on the Spirit's humility, the Spirit inside of you, taking a humble posture, then God will mean the most to you. And the first two are not eternal. The body and the mind are given us by God for purposes unto God, but they are not eternal, but the last is eternal. So what do you value the most? Your body, your mind, or your spirit? Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. Blessed are you, King and Creator of heaven and earth, the Creator God of all things, the one who has made even each one of us. In your infinite wisdom, your magnificent creativity, your very complicated and intricate structure. You have created us, God, because you chose us, you desire to have us, and therefore you chose us for yourself, that we would be yours, that our minds would move in glory to God, that our bodies would breathe and would move to the glory of God, and that our spirits would be humble before you to the glory of God. Help us, O Lord, by your Spirit by the power that is in your name and in the name of Jesus Christ to do all of this. To your glory, amen. God does not view death how we as humans view death. As you read his scripture, as you familiarize yourself with God's plan in scripture, God's story about God's glory. He does not view physical human death on earth as we do. And whether our culture in paganism and worldliness chooses to actually even acknowledge death or not, which is the most plain and real fact of life, 
even for those without faith, of all humanity. The things live and then they die. The flowers live and then they die. The trees live and then they die. The creatures live and then they die. That humans live and then they die. Whether they acknowledge that or not, death is still very real to them also. Death will come to every man and woman on earth, whether they choose to think about it or not, to whether to consider it or not, whether to consider that there is life after death, whether they consider whether God exists or not, it will come. Their death, your death, my death on earth will come. But God does not view death how we view it. For the pagan person of the world, this life on earth, inevitably, again, whether they choose to think about it or not, that's it. And then death is the end. It's the end of the book. You close the book and it's end. It's over. That's the finish. And of course, for those of us who read the Holy Bible and worship our God, the one true God, we know that that is not the end for them. And that is not the end for us. They think that this life on earth is it. But that's not the case. Let's look at what our God has to say. This is God's word to the people of Israel through the mouth of Moses in Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 15. He says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. God presents life and good, death and evil. Choose life. For the God worshiper on earth, we call ourselves Christians. This life on earth is just the beginning and death is not really death. Because God has created us for the purpose of salvation. God has created us for the purpose of being with him, to walk with him, to abide with him, to always be with him. This is our salvation. He is our salvation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says, We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. 
for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Look at these words of Paul, that while we live and breathe and walk on this earth, that we are not at home. We are not at home yet. God has created a place for us. That our destiny, that our creation, that the reason God desired us and made us was for himself to be with him, to dwell with him, to walk with him, to always be with him and not be separated from him. Paul says, we are of good courage, good courage, that whatever life would bring to us, whether trial or suffering, whether valley or the road of darkness, the road of loneliness, the road of tragedy, the road of disease, whatever it is, we are always, look at that word, always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, many of us think that we are at home now, that this is our home, that we are, our bodies are part of us, our physical bodies that are physical mind, that this is all part of us, and that's true, and God has created that unto God's glory. But this is not our home. While we are at home in the body, we are away. Look at that word, away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We do not see God right now. We do not see and hear and tangibly feel God like Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden before Genesis 3. And then he continues, yes, we are of good courage. He doubles it. We're of good courage. We're always of good courage. Yes, we are of good courage. And he expresses, we would rather be away from this body and at home with the Lord. He reiterates, our home is with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. God's desire for man is not separated. Whether you're healthy on earth, whether you are lying in a hospital bed, or you are disabled on earth, whether at home or in a hospital bed, either way, God is looking for man to worship him to glorify him, to speak. If you're able to speak, speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Speak the gospel of Jesus Christ from your hospital bed. Speak the love of almighty God for all mankind that Jesus would come to earth and die on a cross for their sin so that they could be with God because God's desire is to be with them. In 1 Peter 1, Peter says, According to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
Don't miss why we are tested, folks. Don't miss the reason for trials. It's not for no reason. Let me read that again. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. They do produce grief. They do produce emotion. They do produce hardship. But it is so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Look at his analogy. Gold is sent into the refiner's fire. And in this example, he is saying that gold dies in that fire, that extreme fire. That the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter drives home the focus, the focus, the focus, the focus of our lives is God himself, is God to receive the glory, is our humility before a holy God while we live every single day, every single minute here on earth. Yes, we were created for salvation, that God would do the work of it and that we would believe him in it, that our hope, that our faith, that our trust would be in him. Let's look at the life of Sarah. We haven't got to today's text. We will. Bear with me in a few minutes. Let's get a recap on Sarah's life. We see her life in Scripture in a handful of snapshots. We don't have the majority of her life recorded in Scripture. We actually don't have the majority of the life of any individual in Scripture. What do we see? She was married to Abraham back when he was Abram, she was Sarai. She was married to Abraham at the time that God called Abraham to faith in Genesis 12. Out from Ur of the Chaldeans. She journeyed with Abraham into Egypt because of the famine in the Negev. She deceived the Egyptians with Abraham that she was only Abraham's sister. And therefore, she was taken into Pharaoh's house. A very risky endeavor. God afflicted Pharaoh because of this, and she was then returned by Pharaoh to Abraham. About 11 years after God had called Abraham to faith, in a sinful attempt to bring a child into her home because she had been barren, Sarah proposed Abraham sleep with her servant, Hagar, and to think of Hagar then as a second wife. She proposed it to Abraham like, you could have a second wife, as if God would permit that, and he does not. Hagar then gets pregnant with a son, Ishmael, and immediately this caused strife in all three of their lives. Sarah and Hagar are then at odds, and Sarah drives Hagar away from the house. After a short time, God has a conversation with Hagar, and then she returns. 
Later, God changes Sarai's name to Sarah. That in Genesis 17, 15, and speaks a blessing for her and says that specifically she will give birth to a son with Abraham. She had always been barren. Now God speaks that she will give birth and that his name shall be Isaac and that God will make a covenant with him and it will be an everlasting covenant for his descendants. God himself speaks to Sarah in Genesis 18.10 saying, I will surely return to you about this time next year and she will have a son. And Sarah laughed and God responds, is anything too hard for the Lord? Again, in Genesis 20, Sarah agreed with Abraham to say she was only his sister when in a foreign land, when they journeyed into Gerar and she ended up in King Abimelech's house. This deception also could have been something terrible as he had taken her into his house to be his wife. But God intervened and Abimelech chided Abraham for the deception and returned Sarah to him. Then in chapter 21, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. A few verses later, strife swells in the household again as Hagar with Hagar's son Ishmael and Sarah and Abraham, now with their son Isaac, are all still living together. And Sarah again insists that Hagar and her son be sent away, so they are sent away for the final time. Then perhaps 25 or so years after, Abraham brought Isaac up on the mountain in obedience to the Lord's command. Sarah dies in Hebron in the land of Canaan. Sarah was ordinary in a number of ways, and the most of her life is not recorded, so we can assume that that is, or presume, or maybe we should not, but that it was ordinary, that it was normal, that it was in many ways, like each one of us, we live day by day. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of days in the average person's life on earth. She struggled with sin. She struggled with waiting on the Lord. She rushed into sin instead of waiting on God for a child. She blamed others multiple times when she was the one to blame. And then in other ways, she was not ordinary because God came to her, spoke to her, and called her to also be part of the blessing to Abraham, that they would be the parents of a great line of the faith. Scripture says a multitude of nations. Scripture also says to Sarah that kings of peoples shall come from her. So God himself was leading her, and she struggled to believe. She struggled to trust him when God was constant and faithful. Now let's pick up today's scripture, starting in Genesis 23, verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Abba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. 
You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. 400 shekels, by the way, be about 9.3 pounds in today's conversion. Verse 17, so the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. When Sarah died, Abraham had to walk through grief. And as any of us who have had to walk through someone very close to us dying on this earth, we can relate in a certain way. It is never easy and people grieve differently. And even during a time of grief, there are certain decisions that have to be made and certain things that have to be taken care of, and you need to carry your family. You have to support and love your family through that. And we see here that Abraham took action because he needed to act in order to honor Sarah's burial, in order to honor Sarah, in order to honor his family. And Abraham proactively spoke to the Hittites and selected the tomb that he desired. And I believe God calls the head of household to lead their family and take care of their family at every moment of life. In life and at the end of their life, God has called his people, especially the head of households, especially men, to be proactive and be intentional and to provide for their families. And even if it's not their immediate family, God has still called us to take care of them, to provide for them, and to be 
proactive. And that does not mean that you are devoid of emotion. It means that you have a shepherd's heart. And that even when God calls you to do the difficult things or God puts you in a difficult position, and God knows what it's like when people around him perish. Jesus wept when Lazarus died. Jesus wept multiple times in the Gospels when there was death around him and he saw the people in grief around him, even though God knows all things. God is not absent of emotion either. He knows what you're going through. He knows what Abraham was going through. And he still called Abraham as the head of the household, as the patriarch of his family, to lead with honor, care, and decision-making. And in that decision-making, let God be glorified. That even in the trials of this earth and even at times of death and of grieving, act and be proactive in such a way as to glorify God. That just because you are in a time of grief, it does not mean that God is not worthy of glory. It does not mean that you should not act honorably and with honesty and with integrity. When you're going through suffering or hardship or trial or disease, how much more so, though at all times more so, God is worthy of the glory. And everything you do on this earth is a living testimony. Abraham was in the presence of the Hittites who did not have faith. They recognized him as, what did they say? They recognized him as a prince of God back in verse 6. Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. They knew he was a man of faith. They knew that God spoke with him. We do not have record here that the Hittites believed in the God of the Bible. In fact, they were known as quite the opposite. But he had good relationships with the Hittites, and they recognized him as a man of faith. Therefore, his faith was on display at all times among them while he was sojourning in the land, either for God-glorifying reason and outcome or for the opposite. Would he glorify God in his decisions? Would he glorify God in his conversations with them at the gate of the city, which is where the town was gathered and where they were conversing about various topics? And he goes and he speaks with the Hittites. He goes and he presents his need to the group of them. And when there's an offer for a free tomb, how does Abraham respond? What is the language that he uses? He reiterates, multiple times, I'm going to pay the full price. If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me this tomb from Ephron, which he owns, it's at the end of his field, for the full price, let him give it to me in your presence. He wants witnesses. He's sojourning in a foreign land. He knows his testimony is on display. He knows that if he is to do a transaction among them, if he is to purchase land, He wants it to be known. He wants it to be public. He wants them to recognize and to be witnesses to the transaction. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property. Why? 
for a burying place. He insists to pay full price when he had previously been offered it for free. And this speaks volumes for his integrity. As a prince of God, they call him. I would not call him a prince. I would say as a God worshiper. And his insistence to pay that full price testifies to the Hittites who God is, what God's followers do, and how God's followers act. Because this testifies also to what was in Abraham's mind and what is in his body. See, his spirit is effervescing. His spirit, his spirit before God is effervescing into his mind and how he's thinking. It's into his heart and what the motivations are of his heart and how he is acting into his body while he is grieving. And he's acting with honor and integrity to all. These foreigners, even when he's offered something for free, how many people do you know that, when, that if they were offered something of great value for free, would insist on paying the full price for it and would not accept it for free whatsoever? Because God's followers are not chasing material possession. They're not chasing the fleeting benefits of the present moment or the desires out of flesh. They're not living in the moment. Of course, so many times Christians do, and that is sin. They're caught up in material possessions. They're caught up in status. They're caught up in fame or their fame on social media or their fame at the workplace or the way that they present themselves, the physical image, the body, to other people, when God is saying, do not do those things. Do not chase material possessions. Do not chase the fleeting benefits, those lies that Satan and even ourselves purport to us as having great meaning, which is why we go after him. Because God's people would not accept a free gift as though they were due any special privilege. God's people are focused on glorifying God and storing up instead treasures in heaven, not treasures on the earth. We don't need fame here. God has defined us. God has given us our identity. We don't need to create an identity that is recognized before the pagan hearts of man, the pagan eyes of man. They're not our audience. There's no value in that. Don't chase it. There's no value in building up for yourself great wealth on earth just to build up for yourself great wealth on earth or status or material possessions or a huge expensive home or whatever it is. There's no value in it. Don't chase it. Look at the life of Jesus. How did he live? He was born into a poor family in a small town, basically in the middle of the night while all the world was sleeping. He was raised, and we don't have much of the scripture talking about the majority of his days either, his years either. 
we have his birth, we have the visit of the Magi, we have him teaching in the temple when he was a child, and then we have him as an adult during the time of his ministry. That's what we've got. And he was betrayed. He was spoken ill about. He was abused. He was falsely accused. This is the life of Jesus. Why? Because he was focused on giving glory to God the Father. Because he was God alone walking the road that we could not walk to experience the death as the perfect sacrifice unto God the Father that we could not pay for. Christ did it for us so that we could be with him. And in this life, we ought not chase the things of this world, which have no value. Let us instead, you've heard the expression delayed gratification. That is the story for the followers of Christ. We want to store up for ourselves. What does it say in Matthew 6? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, 619, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about your possessions on earth. Think about the last year. Think about the last couple of chapters in your life. The trials of debt or being a victim of theft or assault, deception, fraud, the experience of poverty, or when your car breaks down, or when your computer breaks down, or your phone breaks down, when the, your home appliances or the heating or the cooling or the insulation or the roof breaks down. When water seeps into your walls or the pipes burst in your home, when your best efforts at work or at home or in your relationships fail. Now, relationships with others, I'll say, should be valued, of course, but how much more so your priority ought be the Lord your God. In all these things, place the weight of your heart's desires, not in these things on earth, but in the Lord. For all these things are not eternal. All these things will break down and will cause disappointment. And as these things do over and over in my life, yes, they cause me frustration. Yes, they're teaching me patience. I am reminded this place is not our home. This is not the way that it will be for God's children always. This is just for now. Everything done for the kingdom of God will not only never break down, but it will also last for eternity. Your love for God will hold you fast, despite poverty, disappointment, Hunger, disease, trial, or loss. God wants your heart. And God is going to carry his children always. When you are with God, when you have given yourself to God in all things, 
When you got to the point that you said, God, I'm not holding anything back. That one thing that I was holding back. That one thing in my life, God, I had given you everything but this. And God speaks about that multiple times because Christ encountered that. What did he say to the rich young ruler? Go sow everything you have and then come and follow me. Because the rich young ruler was saying he had done everything that had been asked of him by the priests. Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler turns away from Christ, walks away, for he was very wealthy and we don't hear from him. In scripture, again, what happened? One, we don't know, but two, he probably didn't come back because he was holding too tightly to something that God said, let go. You can follow me, but you need to let go of that because I'm not going to share. I'm not going to share my throne with that thing. Whether that's whatever it is. And all of us could probably fill in the blank with something different. God wants it all or nothing. He wants all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your body or nothing. So for those who have held something back, God wants it all. And there's still opportunity to give that over to God because you're alive today. And all of us, while it's still called today, scripture says, God is waiting for us to repent of our sin and to put our whole faith and trust in him alone. And once you do that, God will never lose you out of his hand. You are his child now and you are his child forever. And that is wondrously beautiful and the world cannot understand that in the slightest. This world is not our home. This is just the beginning of the beginning for God's children. The God's desire, God's salvation, God's plan for his children is to always be with him. Always be with him. It's not like your experiences on earth in relationships with other people where they disappoint you. Where they bow out on you, where they walk away from you, where there's strife in the home, where there's loss in the home, where there's grief in the home. God says with me, there's none of that. And there won't ever be. I will always be with you. Oh, to know a love like that. And for Christians who have given it all to our God, we do. We do know a love like that. And even in our imperfection and even in our foolish sin, we repent in the name of Christ. We repent to God. And God forgives us our sin because of what Christ did on the cross for us. For those children who God calls children who have surrendered all to him. And then we see how much more so the value is when we place our treasures in heaven and not here on earth. You see fully or more so, so greatly more so, how tainted everything is on this earth. 
that new shiny object that you want to purchase, you purchase and then there's quirks with it and then there's problems with it and then it breaks down and then it fails. You drive automobiles for more and more days and weeks and years of your life and you notice how often that they fail. They're not made to last. God says with me, what does he say? To Abraham and to Isaac, it will be an everlasting covenant. I will be their God and they will be my people. Let's pray. Our God of salvation, the one who sees us and knows us completely, you know us even better than we know ourselves. And you see all of the imperfections in us, you see the weaknesses in us, you see the sin in us and you love us still. You see our best efforts and how we fall short and you love us still. Oh Lord, may your people be so much more disenchanted with the petty things of this world. Not because operating in this world and living in this world and moving in this world is not important, it is. But that's because of you and your message to us to be moved through us to proclaim your love and your gospel to this world. Help us, God, that whether we are living in our bodies, whether we are dying in our bodies, to be focused on our home, which is the kingdom of God, where we will be with you forever because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We pray this in the name of our Savior. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 24.